Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Kelly Stewart. Welcome to the Think Orphan podcast, where we seek to help you navigate the orphan crisis with experts from around the world. Well, today is our last episode of season two. We cannot believe that we are already at the end of season two. We've had so much uh, fun and just enjoyed our time with each of our guests and and are so thankful for their willingness to come on and just share uh, what they're doing and and what God's teaching them and also just how they're seeking to improve and impact uh, the global orphan crisis. And so we're very, very thankful. So thank you guests that have have been a part of the last two seasons. And so with that, Phil and I just wanted to take a couple of minutes and just kind of share what we've, what we've learned over the past two seasons, what stands out to us and, and how it's changed us a little bit. And so Phil, why don't you kind of kick us off? Well, yeah. And and as you and I were talking about just before the show, this is something that over the last, you know, however many months it's been, it's been about a year, not quite a year. Um, You know, I've been studying this stuff for about eight years and, you know, the one thing that this show has reinforced and just confirmed for me is that these issues are so incredibly complex and there are so many smart people tackling these issues every day of their life with everything they have. And, you know, for us to think that we have it all figured out, for us to think that we have the right answer or the magic bullet quite frankly, is, is arrogant and, and really irresponsible. And that, that's something that was confirmed for me over the last, um, you know, 10 months or so. Just being able to interview these people, being able to really dive deep with these people, being able to really listen to what they're saying and to hear their hearts, to hear their minds, to hear all the things that they've been thinking about, to have, to be able to have Rebecca Knepp and Todd Guckenberger talk um, and, and just share with each other um, not really face to face, virtually face to face, and to be able to kind of dig deeper than just the sound bites, or dig deeper than just what you know a, a little interview will do, but to be able to actually hear each other, listen to each other, and really realize, you know what, we're probably a lot closer than we thought before this interview, and that's really what I'm hoping for from this. What I was hoping for before we started this um, last May, and what I've been really learning over and over and over again is. I have a whole lot more to learn. And so the other thing that really I've been able to, to learn over the last um, 10 months or so is, is empathy. You know, empathy is not one of my strengths, um, but it's something that I've learned that I can learn and I need to learn. I need to be better at it. I need to listen better. I need to be um, an active listener and I need to really, really engage the conversations that I'm having. And, and I've done that okay over the last few years, but just over the last 10 months, I've God has been teaching me that in awesome ways with the people that we've been able to interview. And so those are really a couple of the, the things. And then the last thing is that um, I have never been more convinced that all of these issues that we've been talking about, the poverty alleviation, family strengthening, human trafficking, adoption, foster care, orphanages, mentoring, all these things are interconnected Um, deeply. And all of these things impact and affect each other. And we cannot deal with them in silos. We cannot deal with them isolated from each other. We need to tackle these issues together. 
um, with people that are tackling all these issues with other experts in areas that we're not working in. So really that is kind of the, the takeaways that I've had. And I'm excited. I just, I'm so excited to, to know that we're going to be able to keep on doing this. We're going to be able to keep on having interviews with people. We're going to be able to keep on learning because there is so much more to learn. There are so many more people out there to learn from. So how about you, Kelly? Well, I agree all that you said. I, I, I totally agree that just the interconnectedness and how uh, all these things flow together. Um, sadly, they're just they all kind of form one big issue. And so uh, with a lot of many small issues <laughs> inside of them. So I totally agree with you. I think something that really stands out to me as well is just how um, it's one thing to hear about these things and it's it's to be moved by them. And it's another thing to uh, know in our head that we need to somehow get involved, but just the need to kind of uh, put actions to our feelings or actions to what we've learned. And so, mm. you know, I think about, um, you know, just some of our interviews and how it really is a story of beauty from ashes and mm. how God has redeemed uh, the brokenness in a lot of our guests uh, to bring about um, healing, but also uh, that they are then taking what they have, what they've survived and what they've seen. And they're, they're actually um, engaging the world around them to make it better and, and to impact, uh, usually kids who are in the same type of situations. And so, you know, I just love that. I love that there's no story uh, that God will not use. And so I think that's just, we all are uniquely gifted and wired and have a story that can, uh, that can impact those around us. But specifically, we also have a call to, to really help the widows and the orphans. And so, you know, not just not just by listening to this podcast, but really stepping back and taking the time to say, what is my role? What what can I do? What are those things um, in, in my local community where I can invest, but also maybe even thinking globally of, of what can I do to impact uh, the global orphan crisis as well? So I know I'm just inspired by so many of our guests and just the lives that they're living, that they are living them um, for, for others. And that's just, you know, that's always uh, just influential for me to hear. And, and hopefully it has been for our listeners as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and the, the other thing, and then we'll get into our interview today, which is fantastic. But the other thing that just blows my mind is the impact that we can have on the world, literally the world. We're in over 60 countries around the world, and Kelly and I are recording these interviews from studios that are not your, uh, you know, extravagant studio. So um, it really, to me, says to all of us, you know, do not limit what God can do through a little mustard seed, through a little, little thing. And I love that that actually reminds me of the, um, the interview we had from Zambia, you know, and it's just never despise small beginnings that Zambia birthed this thing called Orphan Sunday that becomes this massive, massive movement around the world, mm-hmm. you know, and it's something that this little country that most people could not pick it out on a map, you know, this one little man in this little country creates something with another man from the United States that all of a sudden creates this movement. And that's something that we're hoping that God will continue to use this podcast to speak to those of you who are listening all around the world so that other people, other little organizations, other big organizations are able to do 
much, much bigger things than they could have ever dreamed or hoped for because literally anything is possible when God is in it. So that's something that I'm hoping for from this podcast. That's something that I'm hoping for that will continue. And it's something that I'm learning more and more is just that we can never, ever minimize the impact that we could potentially have if God is the one fueling it. So again, today you're in for a treat with this interview. I was able to sit down with John Bergeron with the Austin Counseling, Austin, Austin Stone Counseling Center. And uh, John's also a speaker. He's an adoptive father. He's just a man who you're going to learn a lot from. You're going to laugh. You're going to definitely be inspired by the stories that he's able to tell from his experiences. Um, so here it goes. Well, John, it's great to have you here on the show today. Thanks, Phil. It's, uh, I'm excited about being here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for uh, folks out there who may not know you, may not know your story, may not know what you're doing, to really get to know you and to hear the wisdom uh, that God uh, speaks through you every day. I, I know in your uh, in your practice as well as just in the, with the platform you have at CAFO and other uh, orphan care uh, events out there. Um, before we get into some of the meat of the conversation, can you share with everyone... Um, just your story and, and including how your adoption story and how you got to where you are today. Sure. You bet. It's uh, I think it's a pretty interesting story. Um, certainly not one my wife and I planned out. Um, we, uh, I guess I will kind of jump in there after graduate school. I got my PhD in clinical psychology and figured I'd, you know, launch into building a career and uh, shortly into uh, that process, God called us to uh, look into foster care and um, really just put it on our hearts um, that there were kids out there that needed homes. And we uh, had a home and the resources to uh, take care of a child who needed one. And so he just kind of kept putting that on our hearts. And to tell you the truth, I, I have to be honest with people and tell them that the most I can take credit for in this kind of some ways epic story we're part of is just that I was reluctantly obedient. Um, you know, it, we had been married for, I guess about 10 years or so by the time we kind of got into this foster care process. And so we'd gotten really comfortable with kind of a simplified life. We had a few four legged children, uh, but no, no biological two legged children. And so, um, you know, God just put it on our hearts to build the family through foster care. And so we signed up for the classes and took that kind of next step, which I was a little hesitant about because I knew kids as a psychologist who worked primarily with kids and, and adolescents and families that uh, they can uh, be challenging and eat up a lot of time and money. So uh, not wanting to let go of some of that stuff, I, you know, we said, OK, well, we'll check into it. And so we went through the classes and got trained and um, it took a little longer than usual. So it was about uh five or six month process for us. But once we finally got licensed, uh, within a day or so, we got a call uh, from CPS, which is what we call it here in Texas, Child Protective Services. Mm -hmm. And they said, hey, we've got a couple of kids that need a home. And which immediately kind of scared us a little bit because we said, hey, we, we were just going to start with one kid. And we kind of picked an age range that we thought was kind of the, the best to ease into it. And they said, well, you've got plenty of uh, square footage in your house to have. You could have up to three kids. And we're like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, but, but they told us a little bit about these kids. And, and it was a, a little girl who was almost five and a little boy who was three and a half who was deaf. Mm -hmm. 
And so my wife said, deaf, well, um, we don't know sign language. So, you know, without anybody communicate with him, we're not sure we can take care of him. And the caseworker said, well, that's okay. He doesn't know any sign language either. <laughs> so we uh, scratched our heads and thought, well, but somebody needs to communicate here. Right. But apparently there, there weren't any foster homes that uh, could sign that could take him. And so we prayed about it and really felt like God was saying, hey, these are the kids that uh, we want, that he wanted in our home. And so we decided we'd all learn sign language together. And so that kind of started our, fo- our journey into foster care and eventually adoption and also into uh, the deaf world uh, and sign language and deaf education, which has been just a, an amazing journey in, in so many ways. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, that's just such an amazing story. I heard that in one of the one of the talks that you gave, and it really spoke to me in, in volumes just about the concept, the idea that God will prepare us for what he puts in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might not be before he puts it in front of us, right? <laughs> True you know? story. And to say, God doesn't give you anything you can't handle. Well, he does, but he can handle uh-huh. it, right? You know, and I think exactly. that that's something that that spoke to me in volumes with, to that point, I think, and, and how you and your wife both just said, rather than saying, no way, we're not going to do it. It's like, man, well, I guess this is here. So let's see how we can do it. And, and it seems like what I've heard, it's been such an amazing journey and learning experience for both of you continually. Yeah. Yeah, it really has um, in so many ways. And, and it, you know, it ended up leading into, you know, we adopted one of those foster children. Um, the other one went back to her biological family. And then that led us to adopting about five years later, an older child from China who was also profoundly deaf. Mm. And so we, you know, we really felt like God had equipped us. And like you said, we weren't ready at the front end, but he had gotten us ready. And and there was this young man who was about to age out of the system in China. And uh, if he wasn't adopted, he, you know, w- once we started reading a little bit about what happens to kids with special needs in China, we were um, worried and felt like, man, we can definitely offer him so much more here in, in the United States and, and offer him a home and a family. And so, uh, so despite our better judgment uh, in many ways, but but answering God's call, we, we uh we took that step and we adopted uh, our older son, Jian, from China uh, right at six years ago now. Hmm. You know, there's so much more we could go into and all, and all that. I know our, our uh, friend Johnny Carr um, is also a huge ministry advocating for, you know, to adopt uh, children with special needs and particularly deafness. And mm-hmm. And that's, uh, you know, obviously a massive, massive uh, thing to be, be talking about out there. And I I'd encourage people to look into that more as far as the needs. And as you were saying, just the going around the world and seeing how people with, with all kinds of different special needs are, are, are treated and, uh, or, yeah. or just completely ignored, unfortunately, so often. Yeah. It's such a huge uh, potential to be able to give life um, to both sides of it. I think because the life that sounds like you and I, again, I'm excited today too, cause I get to know you better, but this sounds like from what I've heard through your heart and through your speaking is you have learned so much about yourself and about, you know, life and what God wants through these children as well. Um, am I right in that assumption? Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I went into this, uh, probably like a lot of adoptive parents, uh, with a somewhat of a savior mentality and thinking I was going to save these, these poor orphan kids. And it turns out God has been using them to save me, uh, in that sanctification process and just revealing his love for me and and his design for me as, as a man and as a father and just 
tremendous ways that that uh, is hard to put into hard to put into words. But it's been a, an amazing journey just to be blessed by these kids. Well, in, in today, every day you go into a, an office in Austin and uh, it's a counselor, Austin Stone Counseling Center. And can you tell us how you ended up in that office and, you know, kind of what you're doing on a daily basis? Yeah, you bet. Um, so when when we adopt, fostered and then adopted, uh, I was working for a large regional clinic uh, in central Texas called Scott and & White and just in a typical healthcare setting doing uh, counseling therapy and you know assessment uh, pretty much across the the board in terms of different ages and different issues once we started fostering and then adopted uh, it was kind of like word got out and so all the uh, foster adoptive family started showing up in my office and and so I had to you know as I was learning about this process of, of parenting children from really difficult backgrounds and trauma and abuse and neglect you know I was also trying to educate myself so I could help these families that were, were coming into my office. And so through that process, God really kind of led me into specializing in, in working with uh, adoptive and foster families, which I've just really enjoyed. Um, about five, about five years ago now, um, he created an opportunity for me to step out of, you know, full-time counseling and therapy to work with an organization called Hope for Orphans for about four years and gave me the opportunity to speak and do some training and curriculum development uh, to just to reach more people, particularly Christians who have been called into this this place. And so and then about a couple of years ago, I transitioned from that full time to uh, working here at Austin Stone Counseling Center, where I get to you know work more in depth with with families uh, just around, uh, you know, facing the challenges that, that kiddos coming into adoptive families bring, uh, which is honestly a lot of brokenness and, and often darkness from their backgrounds. Yeah. What are in that, on that note, what are some of the most common issues that you are dealing with? I'm sure so many little people out there listening have adopted, have, are, are, are in the process of fostering or, or considering it, you know, what, what are, what are the most, the most common issues you're dealing with and, and really how are you advising counseling people or people to go through those similar issues? Uh, sure. Yeah. I, you know, I can answer that question, uh, in two ways. Uh, one, probably the one most people are expecting would be to kind of talk about how, um, the, you know, what kind of things that children bring into the home in terms of, you know, you've got aggression, you've got attachment issues, there's often a lot of neurological and health issues. But as I was thinking about that question, as you asked it, I thought, you know, I really end up working more with parents because I believe, you know, I can help a child far more by equipping and preparing their parents than really working with them maybe once a week at most. And so the, the things I see in families is probably two things. Number one is after the adoption, I find a lot of couples struggle with some pretty deep and, and painful disappointment. Mm. And, and that comes about because we often enter into this, this adoption world kind of the way I did with some really unrealistic expectations about what it's going to be like and what I'm going to do for this child and what, you know, how quickly they're going to heal and bond to me. And sometimes it, often I would say we, we, as parents, we end up facing some real disappointments uh, in that arena, hmm. uh, that reality is often a lot harsher than what we had imagined and, and sometimes even were prepared for. Um, so 
So I would say that's that's probably one of the big issues that I, that I work through parents with is just kind of grieving the loss of that that dream and sometimes that, those unrealistic expectations so that we can step into the reality that God's called us into, right. which often isn't quite as glamorous and definitely not as neat and clean as we would like it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've definitely seen a lot of that um, in the work I've been doing. Yeah. Um, and now, now with the biblical counseling you do, I mean, how does, what are some of the ways that biblical counseling can empower, um, and help the people that are coming into your office? Uh, you know, as opposed to some people just say, well, if you just read scripture and pray a lot, that will take care of everything. And, and not to discount that, that's obviously huge, <laughs> very yeah. important, but the, what, what, what does biblical counseling provide in, as far as helping people through these issues? You bet. I, I love that question because I think it's one that, that a lot of people wonder about because I think they've experienced um, kind of two extremes in terms of, of counseling. And one is kind of what you described, which is, I would say, more of a religious counseling in that if I do these kinds of religious things like pray more, read my Bible more, uh, get other people to pray for me, then then things are going to turn out okay. It's kind of one extreme. And the, the other extreme is, is in kind of an opposite direction is the idea that, well, because, you know, these kids have been through so much that, that really we don't have what it takes. The Bible really doesn't speak much to that. So we need to go to, you know, science and the experts to find out what it is we need to do as parents to help these kids heal. And I think either one of those extremes leads us in the wrong direction and will cause us to do things that, that aren't helpful and loving and healing for our kids. Because, you know, on the, the expert science end of things, there's a lot of questions that science can't answer and it was never intended to answer. Uh, questions about, you know, purpose of parenting, uh, the idea of values, what, what's important uh, in, in terms of parenting and what's more important than other things. Uh, the, the whole idea, issue of identity. Um, science doesn't tell us who we are. It, it describes you know, a human animal and how that animal's brain works and how it's impacted by experience. But it doesn't tell us these much more important things and ultimately doesn't lead us to a place of, of ultimate healing because it only deals with, with really the physical um, aspects of, of, of human existence and, and the spiritual is entirely forgotten. And so I think in, in between those two poles is where I, I spend my time working and how do I you know, help families utilize what we're learning through observing God's creation and how, you know, this, this human being is affected by its environment and how it develops along with, with biblical scriptural truth, the gospel that, that answers the question about what went wrong with us and what went wrong with our children and how do we help them heal from that? You know, what's the answer to that? And so that's, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's kind of the world I live in day to day. No, it definitely does. And I would like to to dive into a little bit of that more because um, it's one of the things I love about this, this show is I get to ask you these questions to go a little <laughs> bit deeper into some of these issues that I'm wondering yeah. about. And I hope everyone else out there is too. But, you know, for instance, let's take the identity issue, which is such a massive thing for every human being, right? You know, and, and identity in such in a broken world. How do we reconcile, you know? Uh, you know, Romans 12 too, right? You know, the, mm-hmm. the tension between the patterns of this world and renewing our mind. And, 
And what does that look like? And particularly when you when you add into the fact the issues of of abandonment, the issues of attachment issues. And so how do you see the identity issues really surface in in the context of adoption foster care, both with the parents and the and the children that you're that you're seeing? Oh, yeah, you bet. I mean, I think it surfaces in in huge ways Um, to start with the kids. I, I find, you know, coming from a biblical perspective, I've got such a better answer for that question of, of who am I? Uh, without the Bible, what I'm basically left with for, for an orphan is that that, that, that orphan's identity is, is often rooted in what happened to them and, and tends to have a very deterministic kind of flavor to it, that, that because of where I came from, that has somehow defined who I am and who I'm going to be. And what I love sharing with kids and, and encouraging parents to share with their kids is, hey, the good news of the gospel is that that doesn't define us. Our past doesn't make us who we are, that we do need to know where we started, that all of us are sinners and, and have experienced sin and brokenness in life. And that's impacted us in a lot of different ways, but that because of God's love that we're now adopted children in his family. And so we're princes and princesses in in the kingdom of God. And that that's who we really are. Now we're, we're trying to grow into that identity, mm-hmm. um, progressively, but, but, you know, we're not defined by what's happened to us or even what we've done, which is just really good news, especially for these kiddos who've come from such dark places and often have ended up, you know, participating in, in some really dark things, um, before and even after their adoption, trying to figure this stuff out and deal with the pain. Yeah, and that and, and uh, this goes to there's so much more to all these issues, and you you talk about them in several of the talks you've given at uh, the CAFO summit and and uh, some other places you've spoken. Um, but uh, you know the idea, like you said, of purpose and values in addition to identity and. There's so much that people are talking about all these different studies and all these different, you know, books and that things that are out there that are really good stuff. But I love hearing from a counselor, from a man who has gone to a lot of school to talk to people and tell them, you know, these ways that they can be thinking better and to hear the idea that science doesn't have all the answers. Um, But it's a good thing. But if you put too much stock into it, um, it could it could actually lead to misinformation or it could lead to the wrong conclusion, so to speak. And I think one area you talk about uh, in, in the talks that I've heard is the fact that science sometimes skews our perception of, of the realities of our world that cause us to ignore the spiritual warfare component of orphan care. Can you speak mm-hmm. to that a little bit? Yeah, you bet. I um I remember the first time I, I talked on this topic was actually at a, an adoption conference um, put on by a group called, uh, uh, oh, I'm blanking on, um, Together for Adoption, excuse right. me, yeah. So Together for Adoption put on uh, this conference at uh, Southern Seminary. And so as I was preparing, uh, you know, they kind of gave me some options of what I wanted to talk about. And, and in my own adoption as well as, my son's adoption, as well as working with some families, I just really been running into a lot of real spiritual issues. And so I said, man, I need to talk about spiritual warfare. And so I get there and I had prepared this talk and it just struck me how kind of funny it was that here was this PhD psychologist who, you know, for, for a lot of church history was definitely on the other side, mm-hmm. you know, 
um, talking about spiritual warfare at a seminary to a lot of, you know, pastors and pastors in training. Right. It just kind of struck my funny bone a little bit. But but I really felt like God was calling me to do that because I see that as such a critical aspect of what we do. And if we're not directly addressing the fact that there is a whole other reality that we can't see directly, you know, impacting our children and our families, uh, we're going to be missing out on a big component. And so, you know, I talked, basically walked them through Ephesians and, and spiritual warfare and what does that mean in the context of, you know, adoption and parenting adopted kids and how putting on that, that armor and recognizing and praying directly about the spiritual uh, forces that are going on around us is just critical. And so I ended up, you know, I, I gave that talk. And then, you know, as I was working with families, just really began to encourage them to think about that aspect of it, particularly when they're first bringing their kids home and having their friends and family. And I really encourage them to have elders from their church come over and pray over their home, pray over their children um, and do that on an ongoing basis. Um, because it's just something I, I see a lot of far more than I saw in, you know, any of the kids I worked with who were, you know, biological children. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a lot of spiritual stuff, uh, kind of seemed kind of attached to them, which, which makes sense. I mean, they come from some really dark places and, and when we think about this, this cosmic battle going on, you know, adoption is, is one of the kind of frontline initiatives in taking territory back from the enemy. Right. I mean, these, these kids really are, you know, property, of the enemy in his mind. And so when we go into these dark places and say, Hey, I'm taking this child and putting them in a Christian home and teaching them about God and preaching the gospel over them. I really think that makes our enemy pretty uncomfortable and unhappy. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I can tell you since I started working as I have five biological children, and to see the spiritual warfare that started since I started working and, you know, working against trafficking, working mm. in orphan care, working, yeah. you know, doing this work. Um, you know, I'm actually one of our children's in counseling and we go pretty regularly. And and when it lacks that spiritual warfare conversation, when that's not part of it, it takes out, like you said, it takes out a huge component that um, really could miss the miss the entire thing. So mm-hmm. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, the other thing that you talked about that science um, does sometimes is it fuels our tendency as Americans, and this is obviously speaking to the American audience, but to the few folks out there, the rest of the world, I'm sure that there's some of this that you've either seen or experienced in those other countries, but it fuels our tendency as American toward individualistic heroism, which causes us to see ourselves as savior. Can you explain what you meant by that? You bet. Um it goes back to kind of that that tendency I think that I shared about uh, myself early in our uh, adoption journey before we kind of entered into it um, entirely, and that is to to kind of see ourselves as the hero of the story in many ways. That that given you know our knowledge and our resources, we're going to come and change this this uh, sad story and and save this child, and that that really. I think feeds, you know, our pride that, that I think in, in Western culture and probably particularly here in America, we, we have kind of elevated, um, and that is to be kind of the, the individual hero that, that we tend to, you know, elevate that person that stands out, that, that fights, you know, the enemy and, and goes, goes it alone. Kind of the, the John Wayne persona, um, 
kind of that loner thing. And that, mm-hmm. you know, while that, that feeds our pride a bit, it, it definitely is not something that we see in Scripture. Um, what we see is that we're actually, at best, uh, you know, willing tools for the king, for, for God to, to use to do what he would like. And he always embeds us in, in community in some way. Um, and so I think when, when we, you know, look at knowledge and science as the key to helping our children heal, it, it feeds right into that because mm-hmm. we begin to believe that, hey, if I just know enough of the right stuff, I get all the right terms, I get the right diagnosis for my kid, then I will be able to save them. And it's such a lie uh, because we're not saviors and neither is psychology or psychiatry uh, or counseling. Ultimately, we've got one savior and we all need to be playing a part in the story that he's writing, not in our own story. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so easy to look at a study and to look at a, you know, some scientific uh, theory or whatever it is and to say, okay, that provides us the answer. And to almost to oversimplify things in that way too, when in fact it's really is a case by case thing. The longer you do this, the longer you realize, man, if you get an answer, there's 50 questions behind it. And yeah. I think that 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 place of that posture of humility in the midst of it, that we're continual learners, um, is something that that isn't very scientific, right? Mm-hmm. So for sure. Um, well, a couple, you know, more questions before we get to the final two questions that we always ask all our guests. Just some fun questions for you. That you, you said a couple things that I want. I want you to be able to share a story. One, and then this question, this next question is something that you said that you love hanging out with missionaries and adoptive and foster parents a lot. Why is that? Yeah, what something I noticed um, even before we got into the adoption world, God really blessed us with having a lot of friends who were missionaries with organizations um, like Wycliffe and, and crew. And, and I just really enjoyed being around those folks, people that had been overseas that had given up, you know, the life they could have had here in the States, you know, earning lots of money and building their little kingdom to go overseas and, and do what God was calling them to do. And I just loved hearing those stories because, man, you could just see how God you know, showed up and did his thing and just worked just amazing miracles and, and did some just really cool things. They were just epic stories. And then when, when God called us into, you know, foster care and adoption and I started hanging out with people that had been doing that, I had that same kind of feeling that, man, these are just some really amazing things going on here. Things that, you know, we can't explain, you know, through our own power or through, you know, human means that, that it's, it just seems so clear that God's working and he's doing big things. And so as, as I pondered that, I really started thinking, man, why is that? Why do I, you know, why am I drawn to those people and those stories? And I, I really think it's because it, it's just both of these situations are, um, are places where God has called people out of their ability levels and out of their comfort zones and said, Hey, I want you to do something that, that goes against your natural leanings. It goes against what culture's telling you is important. And I want you to trust me enough to do this kind of crazy thing. And when we do that, man, he, he blesses us, you know, beyond, um, understanding and, and he allows us to play you know, this small role in this really epic story that he's writing. And, and I think adoption definitely fits right in there. Hmm. 
speaking of stories, there, there's a story that you've told um, about your son with the gardening shears and how it taught you a very important <laughs> lesson. Can you share that story with us and the lesson you learned? Yeah, you bet. Um, yeah, so so we adopted our older son uh, from China at the age of 14. We got him three days before he turned 14, actually, because that was the day on which he would not be allowed to be adopted internationally. Hmm. And so I'd love to have time to tell you the story of all the miracles that God worked to make that happen. But we, we basically went from finding out about this kid to adopting him three days before his 14th birthday in four and a half months. Oh, wow which is, you know, record speed mm-hmm. for an international adoption. And, and so, you know, that was an amazing beginning. Um, one of the things we would come to learn in the next several years was how in, intensely uh, your upbringing and the environment you're in impacts you. Because our son spent the first 14 years of his life in a Chinese orphanage. And even in the best of circumstances, institutions are horrible places for children to grow up. And so, uh, you know, that left a lot of psychological scars for our son. And so, you know, once he came home with us to America, uh, we knew it would be difficult, um, but we probably didn't have a very, you know, realistic or deep picture of how difficult that was going to be. And there was a period of, I would stretch about four years or so, four and a half years really tough times with a lot of anger uh, kind of started to erupt and aggression, a lot of defiance. Um, you know, it, it didn't matter what we wanted him to do. He had, you know, a better way of doing it. And so it was just kind of this constant battle. And so, you know, uh, some of these power struggles would often get pretty intense. And so at this point, you know, about a, this was about a year and a half into it. Um, we had been, you know, kind of dealing with having to patch holes in walls. And I think we'd replaced his door about three or four times, Mm -hmm. um, cause he kind of liked to put his hand and foot through things when Mm -hmm. he was angry. And so because of some of that damage, we had kind of shifted to a new strategy of, okay, when he's starting to ramp up, let's get him outside. And uh, we lived out in the country a little ways, had about an acre of land, so he could kind of beat on the trees and and the rocks around and not do quite as much damage. And so this was one of those days where I don't remember what what started it, but uh, there was the anger was building. And so I said, all right, let's go outside. And so we went outside and we were trying to work through things. And he was kind of getting angry and kind of yelling at me. And and that looks a little different in sign language, but uh, it's pretty clear what's happening. Um, and so I was working out in the yard while he was kind of coming and going and expressing his frustration and telling me he wanted to go back to China and that uh, we weren't his real parents and a lot of those hurtful things that kids say Mm -hmm. when they're hurting. Um, and so at one point he got so angry that, that he picked up, you know, a set of gardening shears. Those are those big scissor looking things that are Mm -hmm. about two feet long and, you know, was kind of holding them, um, kind of threateningly at me and, and, and screaming. Uh, and, and if you've never heard a deaf person scream, it's, it's pretty intense. It's <laughs> this very primal guttural thing. And so I was staring at this now 15 year old kid who's pretty strong at this point with these shears threatening to stab me. And I'm, what do I do now? I'm the expert. <laughs> I'm supposed to have all the, the answers. Right. And I just got this really strong sense that, I, it was important that I let him know that, that we don't need to be afraid, that I don't need to be afraid of him and he doesn't need to be afraid. 
And so I just felt this strong sense that God was telling me, hey, just turn around and and show him that, that there's nothing to be afraid of. And I'm like, uh, but this is scary. <laughs> I don't want to do that. But but I did. You know, I just turn around and walk off. And as I'm walking away from him, I just had these really graphic images popping into my mind, imagining what would it look like if these shears were to exit my chest, you know, yeah. in some bloody, gory fashion. And so, uh, long story short, that didn't happen. Uh, he, he put the shears down and, and eventually, you know, calmed down. But, but in the middle of all that was when God really started to work on me and on my heart. Um, and, and basically what he said is he kind of, it was almost as if he tapped me on the shoulder. It was that kind of intense of, Hey, pay attention. And he said, John, that's you, Hmm. that screaming, you know, rebellious, angry, hurting little boy is you. This is how you respond to me. This is how you respond to my love. Hmm. And it just really hit me in a completely new way how much alike to, to this Chinese kid from an orphanage I was, hmm. even though on an earthly perspective, we couldn't have been more different. Right. And yet spiritually, I was just as lost and struggling just as much as he was to learn to become a son. And so hmm. this began a process of, I really feel like God teaching me more than I had learned in all the years of growing up in great Bible teaching churches and going to a Christian university. I mean, suddenly he was just revealing the beauty of his gospel and and the, the desperate need I have every day for a father who has grace and mercy on me. Right. And how, you know, I've been called to do that same thing to my sons uh, and, and mm-hmm. to this, this son, whether he's screaming in my face and threatening to stab me or doing what I want him to do. And mm. so it's just a really powerful moment that uh, kind of sticks out in my mind. Yeah, that is, that is. And it goes back to the identity we were talking about earlier, right? You know, and on both sides, the need for parents and children to fully understand our identity in Christ and, and who we are as sons, like you said. But. Um, last couple questions for you. I, I so love this conversation. Actually, before I do that, I, I want to hear from from you how, how people can get in, in touch with you if they want to hear you speak, maybe at, at somewhere if you're still, I'm assuming you're still doing that. Um, and uh, just how they can, can find out more, hear your talks or things you've written. Where can they find that information? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, I'm still um, doing some speaking and training as, as God allows me to do that and really enjoying uh, doing that whenever I get a chance. And so they can find me online. Um, I have a website under my name, John Bergeron, PhD. Um, I'm also at the, if you look up the Austin Stone Counseling Center, uh, you can get in contact with me through that. And I'd, I'd love to you know touch base and see if I can be helpful in, in any way. Fantastic. We'll put those on the, on the show notes for this. And uh, the last couple questions. Uh, first one, what have you read, listened to, or watched recently that has most impacted your thinking on issues surrounding orphan care? Um, yeah, I was thinking about that question. That's, that, that's a good one. I think um, I'd have to say two things. Probably, um, yeah, I'm trying to kind of think in my mind. I would say one of the big ones was Russell Moore um, in his book, Adopted for Life, uh, was really a foundational um, 
piece of information, way of looking at, at adoption and our calling to care for orphans. And and having the opportunity to, to speak with him on a few occasions and getting to know him a little bit, he's just a, a tremendous guy and mm-hmm. that I really appreciate. But but that book, um, I think, was, was really a good one for me. Um, I would say another person who uh, is also an adoptive dad, um, and that's uh, Paul David Tripp. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, I think he's got some great stuff uh, about parenting. He recently just came out with a book actually called Parenting that we're um, going through at, at our church here uh, in a parenting class, and uh, his book on teenagers, Age of Opportunity. And I would really encourage folks to, to check him out in terms of really having a solid gospel-centered approach to parenting, because mm. there's a lot of parenting strategies out there that have some good ideas in them, but a lot of those ideas really are rooted primarily in, in science and what the experts say, and, and sometimes align with Scripture and sometimes don't. Right. But I think what, what, what we need more than anything as parents is to have a solid framework that's biblical, that, that's rooted in the truth about the whole person that our child and we are and how the gospel speaks into that. And so I think he's, he's one of those guys that just does an amazing job uh, at doing that. And as a biblical counselor, he's very much active in, in, in our world of, of biblical counseling. No, absolutely. Love both those guys. We recently had Russell Moore on the, on the show and it was a phenomenal interview. Yeah. Um, I mean, not so much the questions as much as the answers. Um, <laughs> and then Paul, uh, David Tripp is, he's definitely one, a man with tremendous wisdom. Hope, hopefully we'll get him on the show sometime soon too. But, yeah. uh, thanks for those recommendations. Can't wait to, I, yeah. I recently read adopted for life finally over the, over the years. And yeah, I agree. It's a lot mm-hmm. chock full of stuff, good stuff in there. Um, last question for you. What one person mm-hmm. has most impacted your thinking on orphan care and how to best love orphan and vulnerable children around the world? Well, it seems like the uh, Sunday school answer of Jesus might be appropriate here. Yeah. Uh, but outside of, of that, I would say um, a guy named Dan Kruver, who he and Jason Kovacs uh, co-founded um, Together for Adoption. And he was, he was kind of the guy that introduced me in many ways to biblical adoption. Um, at the very first adoption conference I ever went to, one of the, the CAFO summits, um, he had a pre-conference that I signed up for talking through um, kind of the, the biblical roots of adoption and why we do adoption, why we're, we're involved in orphan care and understanding that even in, in a deep theological way and how the Trinity itself is this picture of family and community that we're living out in this way. And it was just a really powerful impact on, on beginning to really shape my thinking around adoption and foster care and, and what we as Christians are supposed to be doing in this whole arena. And so I'd really, that'd be another book I'd really recommend. It's a, it's a little book, kind of almost a booklet called Reclaiming Adoption. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he, he wrote that. And Jason Kovacs, I think, has a chapter as well as uh, John Piper, I think, wrote him a chapter as well. And that's just, a I think, a great book to, to really sink your teeth into the, the theology of what should and does drive us to um, take the risks that we take in, in, in moving into this world of caring for vulnerable kids. 
Absolutely. And, and I, uh, I definitely second that recommendation on reclaiming adoption. It's, it's fantastic. I think Scotty Smith also had a chapter in that book. Mm-hmm. Um, we might be forgetting one, but it's, it's fantastic on really sonship on adoption and the theology of adoption in particular. Um, some very wise men there, um, that you and I both know most of them, if not all. So thanks again, John, for, for your time. Uh, absolutely loved, uh, getting to know you a little bit better hearing from you. I hope everyone else out there did as well. So, uh, hopefully we can continue the conversation really soon. Thanks a lot, Phil. Well, what a treat that was for me. And I hope that you all learned as much as I did from John, uh, Kelly, what, what were your thoughts from John? I can definitely relate to a lot of what he said, just um, just in the experience of adoption and, and especially, you know, adopting kids from hard places. And and it, I loved how he was just able to say, man, they just kind of stumbled into, in a sense, uh, fostering and adoption. And and I, I love that God does that, that often families, uh, it was never their plan, but it was always his plan. And so um, I, I love that. And then, you know, just the story that he shared of of, um, of the time with his son and, and having to almost parent in a way that does not seem um, like it makes sense in parenting in a way that doesn't come naturally. And, and, and that to me has been my experience with adoption of just kind of reorienting my mind, um, to think big picture and to uh, not always get caught in the, uh, what comes naturally or what, um, what a typical parenting book may tell me to do. And so, um, you know, just, he took a risk and, and it paid off. And so I I love that. And and so I learned a lot from him. I think, I hope our listeners did as well, but what about you, Phil? Yeah, I just loved what he talked about, just the limitations on, on science and on experts. And, and, you know, there are, there's a lot to learn. And I think it, it really is a good takeaway from this show too. There's a lot to learn from all this stuff. Um, and we need to l- learn from that. And we need to listen um, to the people who have studied it. And this is this is coming from a guy who's a PhD, and I love the humility in it. Like, he could easily say, here's the answers, and here's what you need to do. But he didn't. He said, you know, look, there's limitations in all this stuff. There's just stuff that we cannot teach with science. There's hope. That, you know, there, there's these things that can only come from our understanding and the relationship and, the, and the, really that one-on-one, that one-on-one understanding. And anyone who's parented knows that you know, in, you know, just knows that through their, their life, but to hear it from a guy who, you know, has studied it, a guy who does it every day, who counsels these people to be able to hear that is, it's very freeing. It was just very freeing to me. And, that, and that's what I really liked about uh, everything that he was talking about was it, it was really just this, it was so rooted and grounded in reality. He didn't pretend to have the answers, but he had some different principles that he could live by, share by. And I just love the advice he was able, um, to give to all of us. And so, you know, again, with this show over the last two seasons, um, I'm excited. I'm excited to see where it's going to go from here. I'm also excited to see how people have already put it into practice who have put into, put into practice things like John told us and talked to us about. They were able to actually apply it immediately to their life, um, whether it's as adoptive parents, as foster parents, as people working with children in different parts around the world or, or people just working in their, in their local communities um, with kids from hard places. And so um, these are things that I get excited about, that, that you and I, Kelly, are able to interview people um, that all these people listening around the world are able to learn from and hopefully engage others with. 
And it's that question, that issue that, that uh, I know Kelly and I wanted to um, end season two with. It's really with a, a brief, just a quick discussion between the two of us and all of you out there to hopefully encourage you and encourage each other on how we can engage people with what we've learned over the last couple of seasons, how we can engage in a healthy way um, with people, whether it's online, but more, you know, my, my hope is that it's not limited online. In fact, it usually doesn't happen online, but it happens face to face. It happens through conversations. And so Kelly, how, how do you think, how, from your perspective, how can we effectively engage others, um, on all these really, really difficult, complex topics? You know, I think one thing that I have learned and that really stands out to me is just the fact that you want to engage in the conversation. And I, I believe in our day and age, we've lost the ability ability to connect and to share um, healthy in healthy ways and, and to have a debate and conversations that might be difficult and to hear different perspectives and to hear people that come from, we, we rarely put ourselves in the space to even be with people who have completely different perspectives than we do. And so I think number one, you have to, for it to become natural, you first have to be intentional with it. And so I know for me, it's, it's, it's putting myself in the space, uh, to, uh, to share in with intention, some of these topics. Um, and whether that's, whether I bring it into a conversation with people that I, I naturally know, or if it's going into a new environment, um, as far as with racial reconciliation and things along those lines that I am not at the end of my life going to look back and say I was passive there and I should have engaged more and I missed an opportunity, but, but to come at it with a, with grace and to come at it with a posture of learning and a posture of, of, I don't have all the answers and I I don't even pretend to think that I do, but I really want to learn and I really want to, to get into this mess and, and to kind of see how I can impact change and, and just come at it from a learner's perspective, but also where, where I feel truth needs to be spoken or where a, a different perspective needs to be given to not shy away from that, mm-hmm. but to, but to advance it with, um, with love and with truth and with grace. So that for me, I think it's just be willing to have the conversation, be willing to have difficult moments with people, mm-hmm. um, that bring it up and share it. Like, I think that's so important, um, to do and just to not, uh, just to, to sit back and to live in our warm, you know, homes and, and surround ourselves with all the good things, but to kind of get into the mess. Um, I think that's what Jesus mm. did. And I think that's what we're called to do. Yeah. Those are some wise words. And I, uh, I just think of all that you just said, it reminds me of the two conversations I was able to have with Gabe Lyons and Russell Moore and just really start with compassion, start with understanding, start with love, um, and then have truth in there, um, as, as the key kind of thing you rest on, but really start with love. And when you do that, you'll listen better. When you do that, you will have empathy. It's like I talked about at the beginning of this show, just the empathy that I've been learning. Um, it's really, it's, it's critical. It's, it's necessary. And more and more today, in today's day and age, it's becoming so much more vitriol, so much more hatred, so much more just nasty stuff out there. So for us to truly listen and understand where people are coming from, that's such a massive first step. And then from there, I think it'll become easier and easier to hear 
what they're saying, to listen, to truly engage in these conversations, which are so difficult, which are so complex. And so it's with that that Kelly and I are going to sign off on season two. We're going to take a few weeks off before season three, where we're going to be able to bring some more amazing people uh, to your iPods or iPhones or other phones out there, these Samsung or whatever you have, um, you're able to listen. And I, we are so thankful that you are listening and engaging in this stuff. And we do hope and pray that you do it in ways that do involve truth and love. And so with that, season two is coming to an end. And we thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan. Think Orphan.